Please be seated. Our scripture readings this morning are from Psalm 23, and then Luke 15 is our our text of focus. Psalm 23, the psalmist says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then from Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Please pray with me. Well, dear Father, it's it's you that we long to hear from. And please do so. Please speak by your Spirit. Please give us ears to hear this morning. Please open our eyes and Let us see and hear that which you have for us as a church and as your children individually. Lord, I pray that every heart here would be able to receive from you this morning exactly that which you've planned to give. I pray there would be no obstacles. I pray that there would be no distractions. And God, please, that my words would not be mine. They would not be of myself, but but from you and to us. We surrender to your loving will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
So Luke chapter 15. Thanks for getting me water, Scott. Lost and found. Very, very uh, familiar passage. Um, I, I studied it afresh, hoping that the Lord would, would speak to us afresh in this, um, but also with a particular reason um, in mind, and that is hoping that we might glean something new and fresh as a church and, and individually as well in seeing the example of our Lord and knowing how He calls His sheep, well, my hope is that that God would add to His church through this church. Isn't that your hope? Um, I know it is. I know Pastor and Scott and I are on the same page and we share a heart there because that's the heart of the Lord and I, I want to see God use us to bring the lost into His kingdom. Here, this church, these saints, every one of us playing our part as He has planned. So let's look at this together. So Luke chapter 15 Now, there's three things that we'll look at in particular. One is that the beginning of this chapter is a fulfillment of what Jesus has previously been teaching and doing. In chapter 14, we'll look at that a little bit. The second thing is the contrast between the Lord and the religious leaders of the day. The the heart of God and and the heart of man. um, How stark they are. Um, in contrast to each other. And then the third is indeed the explanation um, of what's happening in the first and second verse of Luke 15. Um, And maybe we will be able to dispel some misgivings and misunderstandings that are unfortunately popular amongst the church um, and really see that it is Christ who does all the work, and yet He does not leave us out of the work. So Luke 15, verse 1, says that all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Him to hear Him. Now this is a fulfillment of the two previous sections of Scripture in Luke 14, and it's, it's broken up into two parts. The first, in that they drew near to Him. If we look in chapter 14, starting in verse 15, we see here that Luke says, Now when one of those who sat at the table with Him heard these things, He said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. I think that that comment um, was presumptuous um, and and not a comment of faith based on what the Lord says and how he responds. He says in verse 16, this is Jesus, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. 
and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. And still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And so that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, and we'll stop right there for now. When they are drawing near to Jesus in chapter 15, these tax collectors and these sinners, what we're seeing here is that we have, we have the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind, so to speak. We have the, the outcasts of society. We have the, the ones that are seen as not good enough from those who think that it's up to our goodness to give us good standing with God. And when the tax collectors and the sinners are sitting with Jesus and more importantly, he with them and then eating with them, we see that this is a fulfillment here. The invitation to the banquet has come. Now, it also says in verse one of chapter 15 that they drew near to him to hear him. They drew near to him to hear him. Now, if we continue on reading from Luke 14, we'll start in verse 25 again. The great multitudes went with him and he turned and he said to them, and keep in mind that Jesus is, is preaching now indiscriminately to the whole crowd. That's an important point. And he says in verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sinners, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has had enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. 
Now listen to this transition. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And they drew near to hear him. They drew near to hear him. Now, I believe that this is a picture of the salvation of these tax collectors and these sinners. Those who sin in not, not so much a uh, what society would, would deem like a, a, a more grotesque sin. The tax collectors were, were greedy. They would take advantage of people. They would lie. They would cheat. They were um, partnered with the oppressors of their own brethren. Um, and then, on the other hand, we do have those that were in gross sin, gross sexual sin. Um, I think that's what Luke means when he's talking about just sinners in general. Um, those who could not control their physical urges, whether it be for substance or relationship or any of the sort. But what we see here is a good picture of those without God. And I think this is talking about their salvation for two reasons. One, well, it's because it's what the parables that follow teach us. The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And indeed, yes, the parable of the two sons continuing on in Luke chapter 15, but also we can draw a line easily from this here to Romans chapter 10 where the apostle says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, as true as it is in principle that our faith will grow when we hear and read the word of God, I don't think that's what Romans 10 is talking about. Faith comes by hearing and here it comes by the command of God, the word of God. In other words, God says, you will be able to hear. And that's likened to what Jesus says here. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's not a, it's not a suggestion from the wisdom of the God man, Jesus Christ. It's a command. So at first, when Jesus turns and addresses the crowds, he's giving this gospel invitation to everybody. But then at the end of the chapter, he makes it very particular, very individual, as he does as the good shepherd. And he calls these sheep and they draw near to him. Isn't that beautiful? They draw near to him. You know, previously, they would not be able to draw near to one who was supposed to be a representative of God. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and just the religious establishment in Jerusalem. For they were utter failures. And one might find themselves thinking, well, I am dirty and I am disgusting and I can't, I can't go near this person who is representing God. And then there's Jesus. Where Jesus not only gives an invitation, but he welcomes specifically and he allows them to draw near to him and fellowship with him over a meal. And he gives them ears to hear. And they do. And they cry with faith. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Again, I don't think that means 
the Bible. I think it means the command of God. And contextually in Romans chapter 10, that's, that's what Paul is teaching. The complaints of these men in chapter 2, I mean in verse 2 of chapter 15, these are complaints from those who did not have ears to hear. Look at verse 2 in chapter 15. So after that, we see that the tax collectors and the sinners are drawing near to Jesus and they're hearing him. The Pharisees and the scribes complained and they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The ones that are complaining are those that are still dead in their trespasses and sins. You know the passage in Ephesians chapter 2 and it, Paul uses those words, dead in our trespasses and sins and, and so forth. But then there's that, that great transition in Ephesians 2.4, but God, right? Well, these guys have not reached that point. The sinners have. But God, who is rich in mercy, He was rich in mercy towards these tax collectors and these sinners. But at this point, there was none for the scribes and for the Pharisees. Complaints of those here who would, who would never receive these. These religious leaders would not receive the outcasts of society, the ones that are actually that actually require a trip to the highways and the hedges. The ones that require an, an intimacy with sin, but not to partake in it, to come close to it, in order that there might be sin no more. That's what God does. So that He might be gracious, so that He might be merciful you see, these, these thought that they were God's representatives, but it couldn't be further from the truth. And so here we see the contrast of shepherds. The truth that it couldn't be further, um, that their, their mindset um, couldn't be further from the truth is, is clearly seen in Jesus' indictments of the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 23. If we could turn there, please. I mean, what I'm, try I'm trying to paint the, um, an adequate contrast between the religion of man and, and the love of God. Um, Matthew chapter 23, the, the whole chapter um, is relevant, but we're just going to read verses 13 through 15. And here's what Jesus says here. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses and pray for a pretense and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. Now, 
we see in Luke 19, and we know that the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking of Himself, has come to indeed seek and save the lost. Now, these scribes and Pharisees, in their own understanding, dead in their trespasses and sins, and yet proclaiming to represent God, are keeping people out of the kingdom of God. Not only are they not allowed in, but they are saying, no, 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 this way, this way. And Jesus is saying, woe unto them. And not only does he indict them and pronounce woes upon them, woe after woe after woe, but guess what? God shows up. He's there. That's what he does. He doesn't only say they're wrong. He says, here I am. You can draw near to me. You can listen to me. You can receive from me. I'm not afraid. Later on in Matthew chapter 23 and in verses 37 to 39, it's sort of a summary of the whole indictment. Verse 37 says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The understanding behind this passage can only come if we know who Jesus is speaking to when he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and who he's talking about when he says, How long have I wanted to gather your children? And based on the entirety of the chapter prior to this, we know that Jesus, when he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious establishment. It's not that Jesus is saying, Oh, Israel, Israel, Oh, people of Israel, I wanted to gather you, but you were not willing. Thank God we know that that's not how the gospel works. Even in our confession of sin this morning, we read from Romans chapter 3 that no one seeks after God. So, it's that the scribes and the Pharisees, they weren't willing for those who were under their care as shepherds of God, they weren't willing to let them actually be under the care of God. Where Jesus' heart is to say, tax collectors and sinners... Come to me and under my protection. And the scribes and the Pharisees are like, no. No, we have this religion and we're, and we're just fine in our deception. Well, thank God that Jesus is leaving their house to them desolate. And he is here in the Gospels and he is here now. Jerusalem is, is the failing, the selfish, the neglectful, the harmful shepherds of Israel. They wouldn't receive the lost to, to dinner except to feed on them for their own gain. Like the prophet Ezekiel says, 
Let's turn there, please. Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 6, and this is what Jesus means when in Matthew 23, 37 with, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Ezekiel 34, 1, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool, You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and On every high hill, yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. That is what Jesus is saying in indicting the scribes and the Pharisees in in the Gospel of Matthew. They were not willing to be faithful representatives of God to His people. They were not willing to be faithful under-shepherds And did you see the contrast in Ezekiel 34 with Luke chapter 14? In that, remember Jesus says in Luke 14, He says, Go to the lands of the city and bring in the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. That's the heart of God. And then in verse 4, the the prophets, the shepherds, the leaders of Israel, not representing God, they said, Jesus says to them through the prophet, the weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor have you bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away. See, they push away that which they're supposed to care for. But Jesus brings in. God is willing. God is willing. Listen to God's heart and listen to His plan. Continuing in Ezekiel 34. And we're going to jump a few verses down. Verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Ezekiel 34, 12. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel in the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken, strengthen what was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong 
and feed them in judgment. So you see, there is a great difference. And we have a good clear picture of the difference between the heart of God, the heart of the good shepherd, and the false shepherds who oppose God. The Gospel of John speaks of Jesus as a good shepherd, speaks of him in John chapter 10 as the one who would lay down his life for his sheep. Showing the love of God through a substitutionary sacrifice. The false shepherds of Israel, they lie like their father the devil and they preach a way to heaven that leads straight to hell. And like we read in Matthew 23... Matthew 23:15 Woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte and when he is one you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves they're just following the serpent's lead they're following again the father their father the devil as we know from the first encounter between Satan and mankind in the garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, did God actually say this, Eve? Oh, you can be like Him. You can know good and evil. Eat of this. Right? Satan from the beginning was preaching a way to heaven that led straight to hell. And so were his children, the scribes and the Pharisees. So we see in verse 1 of chapter 15 the fulfillment of what Jesus spoke about regarding the banquet and sending those out to fill those banquet seats. And we see also the fulfillment of um, the gospel being preached to all and then those who the shepherd calls by name, they come. And at his command, if you have ears to hear, hear. And they do, they come and they hear. We see the contrast of the truth and the lie of God and Satan between Jesus, the good shepherd, and the shepherds that were unfaithful and displeasing to God. Now, in verses 3 through 10, in the two parables that follow, we see the explanation of what's actually happening. So, if you're not there, turn back to Luke chapter 15. And in verse 3, Jesus answers their question with two parables. So remember, they were, they were complaining and they said, this man receives, receives sinners and he eats with them. Well, he does it with three parables. We're only going to be doing two this morning. So, And you're probably like, two? <laughs> How about just one? No, we're good now. <laughs> it won't be bad. It's not too hot, is it? It could be worse. (laughs) So Jesus spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And he comes home and he calls his friends and his neighbors together. Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep which was lost. And the same thing happens with the woman who loses 
per coin. So we see these, we see these two things where um, we have the 99 and the 1, which comprise the 100, and we have the 9 and the 1 with the coins, which comprise the 10. And then further on in Luke chapter 15, we have the two sons. Verses 3-6 through six is um, it's sort of a continued indictment, I believe. Because you know what? <clears throat> when Jesus says, which of you, and so forth, wouldn't you do this if you lost it? They, they wouldn't. These men would not do this. And how do we know? I'm speaking spiritually, because so is Jesus. Because the hireling would flee when his own good is threatened. That's what Jesus says about the hirelings. The hireling flees when their own good is threatened. So these wouldn't go after a lost sheep. They don't care about the salvation of souls. They care about people being saved into their system which, when all is said and done, they're twice the sons of hell as they were to begin with. So he, he's indicting them here while he's laying this out and explaining what God actually does. The good shepherd, he puts himself in the way. Even in the very place of the harm, in order just to save one sheep. The numbers that we have in these two parables, the 99 and the 1 and the 10 and the 1, they're not meant to give us specific numerical insight. They're meant to make a specific point. And the point is that the whole of the 100 and the whole of the 10 are God's to begin with. And He will go after each individual part of that whole until those dead are his, those dead that are his are made alive. Like, like when the father is talking to the older brother at the end of Luke chapter 15. You guys know the story, right? My son was dead, and now he's alive. My son was lost, and now he's found. You see, that's what God does. The hundred and the ten, those are pictures of the whole. And the one is every one of his sheep. If you are a sheep from all of eternity, determined to be one who is a recipient of the grace of God, through the sacrifice of the shepherd, the Lamb of God, slain to take away the sins of the world, then God will go after you. You will not remain dead. You will not remain lost. You will be made alive. And you will be found. Now, how do we know that this passage here, and especially some of the details in the parable of the two sons, how do we know that this is not talking about uh, wayward Christians or, or backslidden children? Right? That's important because I think that's what's taught a lot. Now, in principle, that's true, but we wouldn't go here. We'd go to Hebrews chapter 12, right? The Lord chastises those who He loves. If you are left in your habitual sin, then you are not a child of God to begin with. 
God desires your holiness and He will do what it takes to take you out of your sin and death life if you are His child and make you walk in holiness again with Him. Experiencing in reality your unity with Christ as you walk with God. That's Hebrews 12. Here in Luke chapter 15, how do we know this is talking about salvation and regeneration and heart replacement? like the prophet Ezekiel also speaks of, removing the heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. How do we know that's what he's talking about? Because these whole parables are to answer the complaints of the religious leaders, the false representatives of God, as the sinners and the tax collectors draw near to Jesus and to hear him. After he invites them and commands that they hear and they come. You see, this is that picture Verse 1 is a call to salvation, not a call to recommitment. And then in verse 7, we see that Jesus says, um, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance. Verse 10 as well. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And likewise, we know that the father throws this great feast because his son has come home and he puts his ring on him and he puts his robe on him and he cries on his neck and he's so happy to see him. And the son says, I just, I just want to... I want to just work for you. I don't even want to live in your house. I want to be a hired person where I come to work. Can't I just do that? And the Father will have nothing to do with it. And all because of the grace and the love of that Father, He reinstitutes the Son back into His family. So we see that the joy in heaven is because of each sheep and each coin and the Son later that is found and that is in possession of its shepherd regarding the first parable, its owner, I speak of owner, regarding the second with the, the lost coin, thinking of how we are, not our, we are not our own. We were bought with a price, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And of course, each sheep, each coin, each child brought by the shepherd, the woman, the father. And by grace alone, given a place to be in the family. Now, these one, all of these one, right? No matter how big the, the number is previously, the one from the 99, the one from the, the 10, and then the one son. The one are all those who are being added to the church daily, such as are being saved. The 99 and the 9 are those who are already saved. The 100 and the 10 is the whole group, the whole of each group, and they're pointing forward to when there are no more lost sheep, no more lost coins, and the chairs at the previously mentioned banquet are all full. All the chairs that were set out from chapter 14 at the heavenly banquet all have somebody in them. And so I also see that this is a call to look forward. 
Because Jesus left this earth and said it was for our benefit that he go and that he send his spirit. And then he gives commission to us. And in Corinthians, that's from Matthew 28, we know that. And in the Corinthians, he calls us his ambassadors. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have Jesus as our example. And as we go and as we preach and as we, as we sit with those who everyone else says, oh, don't. You're, you're associating with them? And we'd say, yes, I'm associating with them, and my hand is in the same bowl of food that their hand is in, and I love it. And wh- Sorry. And why? Because, like Corinthians also says, the love of Christ compels me. And then so I ask myself, and I hope that we ask ourselves, individually and as a church, If we've been given the ministry of reconciliation and if we are ambassadors for Christ and if we've been given this great commission, does the love of Christ compel us? Of course the answer is yes. The idea there is that it's taken a hold of us and it's in that passage specifically regarding being an ambassador and reconciliation and so forth. So... My question for myself, and I I would say, dear brothers and sisters, would you ask yourself this? The love of Christ does compel all of his children. So then are we quenching the Holy Spirit? That's my question for me. And that's what I want us to ask ourselves. We see more detail, similar story in the, the parable of the lost coin with Christ finding his lost. We see that he goes where it is dark because he has to light a lamp, because he's equating himself to the woman. We see that he, we see that he goes where it is dirty to find this coin because there needs to be a broom. Because he's likening himself to this woman who lost the coin just as he likened himself to the shepherd. He goes where it's dark and it's dirty. He's the light of the world. John 8, 12. But then also, Jesus doesn't only clean up the dirt to look for the lost coin. He, he becomes the dirt. He became sin for us. And He knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So, isn't it worth introspection? Perhaps I'm not willing to get dirty enough and to go into the dark places. Um, I, I mean, that's... That's silly for me to say. I know I'm not. I know that I don't go into the furthest reaches of the highways and the hedges. I'm comfortable. And it's not because the love of Christ compels me to be comfortable. The love of Christ compels us. Those who are His, filled with the Holy Spirit, 
to allow that Spirit, the Spirit of God, whom Christ sent upon His entrance into heaven for His church, that He might give us power to be witnesses of Him where we are and an increasing radius outward. So we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors on His behalf. His love compels us. Because His love has a hold of us, we are to go. In Luke 14, again, after those invited gave excuses not to come, we go anywhere. This is what we should do. This is what our attitude should be. We go anywhere and we go to anyone to witness of Christ and His love for tax collectors and sinners, because I ask you this, which of us were not once in that camp? And thank God that he sent someone to preach the gospel to us. Now it's our turn to be that one who was sent to preach to someone else. This is a truth that it cannot be ignored. On the contrary, it must be embraced both in our individual lives and in the life of our local church fellowship, LOPC here in Limington, Maine, and the the surrounding towns that we each live in. And as strong as our church is in many areas, I'd say that we should stir up one another unto this good work in particular. I, I think we should practically be really asking each other who in your family... Are you praying for? Because you're not alone. Can I pray with you for them? These conversations need to be happening. What of the Great Commission in your life? What of the, the, the lack of conversions and baptisms through this ministry? This LOPC ministry. And we're not condemned. We're not indicted. We are loved. We are empowered. And this same Jesus who received and sat and ate with these lowest of society of which we were all once a part, it's His love that compels us as we are supposed to be ambassadors. And some of us are really good at this. Some of us struggle with this. We have seasons of victory in the Lord. We have seasons of quenching the Holy Spirit. Now, those seasons are not meant to be all individual, all separate from, all of, from the rest of us. We're all on our own little islands. We're just seeing how it goes. I wonder how Scott's doing. I don't know. I'm just focusing on myself. That's, that's, that's not how a body works, right? So my challenge to us is to ask God, where are my highways and hedges? I think he'll answer. Don't be scared. And then go. And who are my tax collectors and sinners? And I think he'll answer. Don't be scared. You will not go of your own power. You will go with the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness of Christ. And you go and you share of your time and you share of your life 
and you share of your Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who came indeed to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Lord, would you answer that? Would you answer that request? I feel like we don't dare ask, perhaps because of the condemnation of the enemy or the ridicule of the world or or the laziness and the complacency of our flesh or some combination thereof. Um, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. We want to be used by you in the roles that you have for each of us, that we might see the sheep being brought back on the shoulders of the shepherd, that we might see the darkness lit and the dirt swept in search, in search of your valuable children that we might rejoice with heaven when one sinner repents. So Lord, do that work here. Show us how to do it. Show us how to do it together, supporting each other in Christ and in love. In your name we pray. Amen.